Hello, I'm Sean. Welcome to Wellspring Baptist Church Podcast. We're glad that you're listening today. For more information on all that's happening at Wellspring, please visit our website at www.wellspringbaptistchurch.org. I hope this message is a blessing to you. All right, take your Bibles and turn to Judges, the book of Judges, Judges chapter 21, the very last verse in the book of Judges. We've been studying Joshua, and it's felt natural to to go into the book of Judges just for one week, I think, but uh, we'll uh, we'll look at this for, for one week, and hopefully it's a help and encouragement, blessing to us. In Judges chapter 21 and verse 25, the Bible says this, In those days, there was no king in Israel, and every man did that which was right in his own eyes. And every man did that which was right in his own eyes. If you study the book of Judges, it's... Uh, it's more of a warning than an example of how we're to live. It's more of a warning of what not to do uh, than necessarily what we should do as we studied in Joshua. And this, this verse right here kind of sums up, if you will, the whole book of, of Judges and the attitude of God's people, Israel, in that they started to do what was right in their own eyes. And when I read that, you know, it's interesting to think that they weren't trying to do what was wrong in their own eyes. I mean, these were people that were well, they had good intentions. They were trying to do what was right in their own eyes, but even then, boy, it led to some awful things. And if you look around the world today, there's a lot of cultures, a lot of societies, and you don't have to look very far, just look around uh, here that you see folks doing what they think is right in their own eyes, but ultimately it brings uh, some hardships and hard times in those things. Um, without truth, without truth, the Bible says, sanctify them through thy truth, thy word is truth. Without truth, without the fear of the Lord, it all ends up bad. Uh, man's best plans, man's best ideas, the Bible says man is at his best state is altogether vanity. The Bible says that our righteousnesses is as filthy rags. The Bible says there is a way that seemeth right unto a man, but the end thereof is the way of death. See, in our walk, we're not to walk by sight, what's right in our own eyes, but we are to walk by... Talk, talk to me. We are to walk by... We are to walk by faith. So the just and the justified are to walk by faith. In other words, we're not to walk according to what's right in our own eyes. But we should be seeking the Lord and asking for His wisdom, knowledge, and understanding. So, I think that again, as we study the book of Judges, it will show us the danger of backsliding the danger of going back and doing what's right in our own eyes instead of seeking the Lord. You know, if you find yourself saying, this is what my culture has always done, this is, what my, this is just the traditions that we keep, uh, I feel like it's right without, without putting it up against what the Word of God says. Um, we may end up going down 
the wrong path. As you, as you look at Joshua, the book of Joshua, and the book of Judges kind of in, in uh, comparison, you see Joshua is a book of advancing. People are going forward. There's victory in the book of Joshua. They are believing God in the book of Joshua. They are empowered by God as they step their foot toward the Jordan and God splits the waters, right? And you see them being empowered by God. They're enjoying in Joshua the blessings of God and His inheritance. But in the book of Judges, unfortunately, so much of it is backsliding, unbelief earthly minded, defeat, and ultimately bondage for the people of Israel. I have this little chart here that I hope you can see, but this is a cycle of judges. There's multiple judges in in Joshua, and really you can follow each one of the judges as you read through the book of Joshua, and you can see this the same sort of cycle here in that Israel is serving the Lord, and then they begin to fall into idolatry, this, the sins of the other people that are around them. They begin to fall into sin. And before long, Israel becomes enslaved or oppressed. They begin to go into bondage. And then they cry out to the Lord, Lord, help us. Lord, save us. And, and the Lord then would raise up a judge that would uh, be a, a, a person that would bring the people out. God would deliver the people. And then in this cycle... Over 300 years that uh, the book of Judges covers, you're going to see this cycle over and over and over again. And you can read that and see the big picture. We have that benefit. And say, why in the world would people live like that, right? Why in the world would, would they go through that? But if you look in your own life, and when we look in our own, our own culture, at times we can see the blessing of God, and then we can see us starting to trust in our own selves or trust in our blessings and begin to slip away from God, and then before long our blessings put us into bondage, maybe even. And then before long we're oppressed and enslaved, and before long then we say, Lord, help us, and God brings deliverance into our our lives. So you see this cycle that goes on. Now, God would raise up these judges to deliver His people from their enemies. They would help these judges that God would raise up would help the nation of Israel out of their oppression and their distress and their captivity. He also used these judges to protect them while they were in their own country and enjoy their liberties. He used these judges to lead the armies of Israel, settling lawsuits and such as we have judges today. This morning we're only going to look at one judge as we, as we study the book of Judges. And as I've said, Judges covers about, about 300 years of Israel's History and there's some famous judges. If I were to name them today, some you you know you know you wouldn't ever unless you just read the book of Judges, you probably wouldn't recognize. But uh, some that you would, like Samson, you'd know that name. He was a judge, or Deborah. Uh, many people have studied her. Uh, but today we're going to study a different judge than Samson or Deborah. In the book of Hebrews, Hebrews chapter 11 and verse 32, in the, you don't have to turn there, but in the, in the hall of faith, if you will, those, those men and women that believed God, and God did extraordinary things in them and through them, in the book of Hebrews chapter 11, there's a verse that says, and what shall I say more? Talking about the men and women of faith. For time would fail me to tell of Gideon and Barak and and Samson and Jephthah, David also and Samuel and all the prophets and the prophets. And so this morning we're just going to take one of these judges 
and going to talk about him a little bit and see if the Lord can speak to us and encourage us in the life of Gideon. The life of Gideon. When we study the life of Gideon, take your Bibles and turn to Judges chapter 6. When we turn, when we turn here and begin to look at the life of Gideon, we'll see this cycle of sin in this story. But we'll also see the hand of God in this story. We'll see the people of faith in this story of Gideon. And we'll also see people that are destroyed or set back by, by fear. So as you open your Bibles to Judges chapter 6, begin with me in verse 1. And the children of Israel did evil in the sight of the Lord, and the Lord delivered them into the hand of Midian seven years. So here we see this downward cycle, right? They had been blessed, they'd been serving the Lord, and now they get, I hate to say it, but fat and happy, right? And then they begin to to seek after false gods and follow the the people of, of, of there. And so they begin to seek after those things. And this sin, this fall into sin, brings them into an oppression, brings them into a bondage. And it gets really bad for them. Look with me in verse 2. And the hand of Midian prevailed against Israel because of the Midianites. The children of Israel made them the dens which are in the mountains and caves and strongholds and So it was when Israel had sown that the Midianites came up and the Amalekites and the children of the east, even they came up against them and they encamped against them and destroyed the increase of the earth. I mean, it's getting bad. They're hiding in dens up in the mountains and when they go out and sow their fields, I mean, a lot has changed since somebody else was sowing their fields for them when Joshua came in. Now they're sowing fields and other people are eating it. Other people, their enemies are coming in and taking all of their increase. I mean, it gets pretty bad when you can't even eat your own food, when your enemies are taking all your food. It says in, in, in verse 4 and at the end of it, and they left no substance for the Israel, neither sheep nor ox nor ass, but they came up with their cattle and their tents, and they came up as grasshoppers for multitude. For both they and their camels were without number and they entered into the land to destroy it. This is bad. And Israel was greatly impoverished because of the Midianites and the children of Israel cried unto the Lord. You see in verse 7 again that they cried unto the Lord. So you can see this cycle where they fall into sin and they're serving false gods and then it gets really bad. I mean things get so bad where they're greatly impoverished and, and, and uh, they begin to cry out to the Lord. But can I say this? That when they begin to cry out to the Lord, He hears their cry. This is the thing that's so wonderful about the Lord that even though they go through this cycle many times, just in the book of Judges alone, that they go through this cycle every time. God has promised some things to His people that every time they go off and start serving these false gods and other gods, but they start to cry unto the Lord and He hears their cry. I mean, you may be here this morning and think, man, I'm in a bad way. I've gotten away from uh, putting the Lord first in my life and I've started to put up some idols in my own life. I've started to begin to serve other things and put money or put status or put whatever it may be in, in the place of God. But the good thing is that when you begin to cry out to the Lord, 
He will hear your cry. He will uh, hear it and bless and help. I think of the verses in Psalms where it says, this poor man cried, and the Lord heard him and saved him out of all his troubles. Or the other verse where it says, he brought me up also out of a horrible pit, out of the miry clay, and set my feet upon the rock and established my goings. So as they begin to cry unto the Lord, you know what the Lord does? Verse 8 through 10, He sends a prophet to begin to preach to them and tell them about their past and tell them about what great things God has done for them, uh, bringing them out of Egypt and all these sort of things. And you know what's a, a, a sad, sad state? is people are dull of hearing the preaching of God's Word many times, unfortunately, until they hit rock bottom. I mean, you know, they couldn't be bothered with the preaching of God's Word. They couldn't be bothered with uh, church and all those sort of things until, unfortunately, until that cycle has, of sin begins to take its toll. Before they begin to realize that they're in bondage and before they begin to realize that they're in need of God. And then they'll say something like this, Alright, what does the Bible say? Alright, we've tried some of our own. We've, we've been doing that which was right in our own eyes. And apparently that's not working. So what does the Bible say? And they begin to seek after that. And, and, and the Bible tells us in verse 11 that the angel of the Lord comes to call a man. And here's the thing. As you read down through this, this, this man, Gideon, he's out there hiding out by a wine press. And he's sneaking, grabbing some wheat, and he's threshing the wheat, right? Out by this, he's hiding little bits of food from the Midians because it, Midianites because it had gotten so bad that, that they had taken all their food and, 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 and destroyed them and taken all the things that they have. So you can almost picture this, Israel in such an impoverished state where it's like a little, uh, you know, like just scrounging up what little bit he can and hiding out and hiding little bits of food for him and his family uh, so that they don't starve to death. This is the picture. This isn't a picture of this great and mighty man coming out and saying, let's defeat the armies of Midian. The Bible shows us a picture of a man just trying to get by. I mean, just trying to get enough food for himself and for his family. And the Bible says that he's doing this and the angel of the Lord comes to him in verse 12 and, and appears unto him. Follow me in verse 12. And he says unto him, the Lord is with thee. Thou mighty man of valor. I don't know if you find that interesting, but when I read that, I, I, I find that kind of humorous that Gideon is kind of like, what? <laughs> oh no, sorry, you've got the wrong guy. I'm Gideon, right? I'm just trying to get enough food so me and my family don't starve to death and I'm hiding what little bit I've scrounged up from the Midianites because they'll steal it from me. I'm no mighty man of valor. I, I, I'm Gideon. I think you got the wrong guy here. This is Gideon you're talking to, right? He says, thou mighty man of valor. Look at verse 15. And, and he said unto him, O my Lord, wherewith shall I save Israel? Behold, my family is poor in Manasseh, and I am the least of my father's house. You can see Gideon's reaction to this. Hey, Gideon, uh, thou mighty man of valor, you're going to deliver Israel out of the hands of the Midianites. Uh, Gideon says, uh, uh, oh, 
hold on, I'm, no, 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 see, I'm of the, my family is the poorest family in Manasseh, the tribe of Manasseh. And, and by the way, Manasseh is, is now being invaded. Manasseh is nothing to speak about. We're hiding off in these dens. I mean, we're scrounging up what food we have. And besides that, my family's the poorest one of that tribe. And besides that, I'm the least of my family. So you, you certainly got the wrong guy. I'm Gideon. I'm trying to, you know, Gideon's trying to say, uh, no, you're, you're, talking, you're talking to the wrong person. I am least. And, and here's, the, here's the point that I'd like to make. When God calls someone, He calls those that have humility. He'll call those that see themselves for truly what they are. He says, I'm least. So many times we think that God calls people for all their talents and their abilities and their strengths. But I believe that as we study through the men and women of the Bible, we're going to find that God calls people that are humble, that see themselves as... By the way, here's the thing. Sometimes I think we get this wrong in our head. When God calls people, He calls them because of what He's going to do with His people. See, His people started to cry out to Him. Then he called Gideon. In other words, sometimes we get the wrong idea. Like we think, well, if we had a Gideon here today, boy, the multitudes would follow. If we had a Moses here today, but if I read it right, didn't the people of Israel cry out and then God called Moses? Didn't, didn't when Esther was brought up, didn't it, wasn't it because the people were in bondage? When Deborah was called up, wasn't it because the people had trouble? In other words, sometimes I think we think, that if there was a great man or a great woman, then all of a sudden there'd be a great following. But I think that God raises up the person after he sees what his people want. When he raised up the Apostle Paul, why was that? Because he knew that the Gentiles would accept him, would believe him. And by the way, when he raised up the Apostle Paul, he found someone that was humble. Just like Moses. You say, Moses wasn't humble. He was mighty in word and deed. He was a prince of Egypt. Not after 40 years with the sheep in the backside of the desert, I think he's gotten humble at this point. You say, what do you mean? Uh, Joshua, Joseph said when his brothers came, don't tell Pharaoh that you're shepherds because shepherds are an abomination. And here, here Moses had been with the sheep for 40 years. I think he'd gotten to a place where he was humble before he uh, began to lead his people out. Same with Joshua. Same with Gideon here. You say, what are you trying to say? Sometimes I must decrease. Amen. So that he can increase. I think if God's going to put some honor on a person, oh, we have to be humble. I think that he, if he's going to lift a person up, he's going to find someone that's very humble. Humble. That's the way up. The Bible says, humble yourselves in the sight of the Lord. And he will lift you up. Humble yourselves in the sight of the Lord. And he will lift you up. You know what I find is interesting? This Apostle Paul. When we think of him, we think of, wow, wrote you know, most of our New Testament. What a blessed man. But here's what he thought of himself. In, the, in 1 Corinthians, in chapter 15 and verse 9, he says this about himself. For I am least of the apostles. Paul said, I'm the least of the apostles. And I'm not even meet to be called an apostle because I persecuted the church of God. But by the grace of God, I am what I am. 
and His grace was bestowed upon me was not in vain. I labored more abundantly than they all. So Paul said, hey, I'm least of the apostles. I shouldn't even be an apostle. But I'll tell you what, since God's blessed me with this, I worked as hard as I possibly could to do what God's called me to do. But he says, even though I worked hard, yet not I. He said, but it wasn't even I that worked. But the grace of God that was that grace of God which was with me, and so Paul says, "Yes, I'm least of the apostles, but it's by God's grace that I am what I am." And it goes farther. Paul goes farther than that. Later, in the book of Ephesians, you know what Paul says about himself? Unto me, Paul says, Ephesians three eight, unto me who am lit, unto me who am less than least. Of all the saints. So Paul goes from, from saying, hey, I'm least of the apostles, to as he goes on in his life, he says, you know what, I'm, le- I'm least of the saints. You know what we have sometimes a problem uh, in, in the church? Is we, some, some folks think that they're a huge blessing. You know, without them, uh, God would be, uh, you know, he would be lost. Without them, they're such a help. But here we have the apostle Paul saying, listen, I'm least of the saints. And I believe that this is the place that we come when God begins to find a place where He can use a person is when we get the wrong idea of who we are and we start to start to feel like Paul and say, hey, I'm least. Start to feel like Gideon. Hey, I'm least. I'm not worthy. God says, okay, I think you're ready. Alright, now is the time where I think I can begin to use you and begin to work in you. I think of what Paul says, let each esteem other better than themselves. But when we get the idea and we start looking around and we start saying, you know, I wish that all Christians were like me, you know, as spiritual as I am and as, you know, it's a wrong idea. We begin to look around and say, wow, I'm just thankful to be called a Christian. I'm just thankful to be a part of this group. I'm just thankful to be numbered in in this number to say that, hey, I'm just thankful to be in. I'm thankful to be here. And this is how Gideon was when he was called. He said, are you sure, Lord? I don't feel equipped. I don't feel ready to to deliver your people from the Midianites. And God says, yeah, I'm sure, Gideon. You're the one. But it didn't come without some questions. By the way, it's okay to ask questions when you... When you're going through some things to ask the Lord some questions, look in Josh, Judges 6 and verse 13. Judges 6 and verse 13, he says this, And Gideon said unto him, O my Lord, if the Lord be with us, why then is, this, is all this befallen us? Have you, ever, have you ever asked that type of question to the Lord? If then why? Right? Gideon's like, if, God, if, then why? Right? And so Gideon's right in the middle of this. And sometimes it's wonderful to step back and see the big picture. We get the benefit of seeing the the whole thing. And so many times we have to do that in our life where we have to walk by faith, and that means we don't get to see the big picture. But God didn't, he, he wasn't upset with Gideon for asking him, saying, okay, uh, Lord, you say you're with us? But if you're with us, then why are we so impoverished? Why are we so downtrodden? And of course, we know that the reason why they were going through this was because of the idolatry that the Lord was about to deliver. The Lord was going to help them. The Lord was going to bring them out. But he was asking the right person. He says, oh, my Lord. 
And so when we come to a place where there's some, there's some questions in our lives, where there's some things going on, hey, go to the Lord with it. Seek the Lord. Say, oh Lord, God, I have a question. And the Bible says that He will give understanding to the simple. To us to go to the Lord with faith and say, Lord, tell me, I, uh, I need your help. I'm, I, need to, I need some understanding here. I believe that the Lord will begin to show us. And so Gideon says, okay, okay, Lord. I believe. I believe you're going to use me. I believe you're going to deliver us. Okay, okay, Lord. Are you sure? Gideon was, was human, wasn't he? So Gideon's like, okay, okay, God, you're going to use me at the least. Uh, you're sure about this. You're going to deliver us from the Midianites. Are you sure? Look at, look at uh, chapter 6, verse 36. I, I find this interesting. He says, and Gideon said unto God, If thou wilt save Israel by mine hand, as thou hast said, behold, I will put out a fleece of wool on the floor. And if the dew be upon the fleece only, and it be dry upon the earth beside, then shall I know that thou wilt save Israel by my hand, as thou hast said. And it was so. For he arose early in the, in the morrow, and, and brought the fleece together, and wring the dew out of the fleece, a bowl full of water. 39, and Gideon said, God, let not thine anger be hot against me, and I will speak but this once. Let me prove, I pray thee, but this... Uh, uh, let me prove thee that this. Let me. I lost my spot there. Uh, once with this fleece, let it now be dry only upon the fleece and upon all the ground. Let there be dew. And God did so that night, for it was dry upon the fleece only, and there was dew on all the ground. What I find interesting here is Gideon says, "Okay, Lord, you're going to do something. You're going to do these things, but are you sure? I want to be sure." Uh, and let me just say this. This was not the biblical way to find out God's will. You say, what do you mean? This was not something that was passed down by Moses to say, okay, when God speaks to you, this is how you find out if it's for sure. This was not something that was in the How to Find the Will of God manual that all of them were carrying around. You understand what I'm trying to say? Is Gideon was just scared to death. Right? He was just scrounging to get by, and now God's calling him to be this mighty man of valor to deliver his people. And, and Gideon just says, Lord, if it's true, do this. And then he did it, and then he says, Well, that could have been a coincidence, right? <laughs> so, Lord, if that's true, then do this, right? And you know what I find is awesome? As though this wasn't necessarily some biblical uh, pattern of how to find the will of God, God honored. What I'm trying to say is if the Lord's calling us to do something, then many times He'll help us out with a little sign. He'll help us out with a, a little prompting. There may be some that are so strong in their faith that if God calls them to do something, they don't need a sign. But many folks are like, like uh, Gideon, and they're saying, okay, Lord, if I'm going to go out there and put my neck out, uh, uh, help me out with a little bit of uh, assurance here that I'm doing what you say that you want me to do because, Lord, I'll follow you, but if this is not of you, (laughs) I'm in trouble, right? I'm in big trouble. So he goes, I'm ready. Let's go. Chapter 7, verse 2. He gets the armies together. He gets everyone around. They're ready to do what the Lord has them to do. And and chapter 7 and verse 2, And the Lord said unto Gideon, The people that are with thee are, say it, 
too many for me to give the Midianites into your hands, lest Israel vaunt themselves against me. He knew Israel too well, didn't he? He says, listen, if you go out with a, with a decent-sized army here, and I'm going to deliver them into your hand, and then, then if they win, they're going to think it's because they're so great. Right? They're going to think it's because they're, they're so great. By the way, uh, we were studying Joshua, and I don't know if I mentioned this or not, but remember the battle that they were... Uh, Joshua was in when Moses was still in charge, and he's out there fighting in the battle, and when Moses had his hands up, the battle was winning. When Moses put his hands down, Joshua would start losing. But then Moses put his hands back up, and Joshua won the battle. So many times we think that because we're winning, it's because of us. Sometimes if we're winning, we should just say, thank the Lord somebody's praying for me. Uh, thank the Lord people are behind this. Thank the Lord ultimately it's God that gives the victory. And so the Lord says here, okay, I know these people, even though they're crying out for help to me, if they win, they're going to think they did it. They're going to start, they're going to write a book on how to beat the Midianites, you know? Fifteen points and God's going to be like, there's no points to this. I just, I just, I just helped you. You know, there's no way that you're going to make money on this or no way you're going to have a man's program on how to get victory. You know, and we see that in the world today, right? So God gives somebody victory, God gives someone success, and then all of a sudden they try to put it into something that, you know, man can understand. But this isn't that. This is God gives the victory. And he says, there's too many here. There's too many for him to give the victory. And he goes down to verse 3. He says, now therefore go to claim the ears of the people, saying, whosoever is fearful and afraid, let him return and depart early, from Mount Gilead, and they returned of the people 20 and 2,000, and there remained 10,000. So he starts off with 30, 32,000 here, is how I, my math goes. They start off with 32,000, and he says, Okay, get up and say, Who's afraid? Go home. By the way, God can't give the victory to the afraid. You've got to have faith. You can't, you can't go forward with the Lord. He's going to say, No, you can't go forward with the Lord by fear. So he says, hey, if you're afraid, go home. you got to go. You can't be a part of this. And you know what's amazing? Most of the folks were afraid. Most people are afraid. And you know what I've found and seen? Most folks that are afraid have good reason to be afraid. And whatever, what, what I mean by that is, I mean, there's 32,000 going against uh, uh, so many people they couldn't even number. Grasshoppers. In other words, this is just unreasonable. In other words, it makes good sense not to do this. In other words, many times we mask our fear by, we rationalize, we say, this just isn't wise, right? This isn't right. But if God called us to do it, it might not, most likely not, gonna make, not going to be right in your own eyes. That was the problem in the first place, right? And so he says, okay, most of them are fearful. Now, I don't know about these other ten, but they must have had nerves of steel, because when you're out there uh, uh, and, and 22,000 people walk away, if you weren't afraid before, I'll tell you what. I, I'm thinking to myself, okay, we got 32,000 here and then 22,000 of them leave. I'm starting to question, you know, myself, right? You're starting to think, wow, this is crazy. We're going, we got 10,000 going up against those that just cover the land like grasshoppers, like the sand. He says in verse 4, And the Lord said unto Gideon, the people are yet, what? Too many. 
There's still too many, God says. Bring them down into the water, and I will try them for thee there. Just a side note, when I read that, you know God's the one who divides. God's the one who tries. Gideon didn't have to do it. God does it. And so he says, this 10,000, this is just still too many. And so he goes, he takes them down to the water, and he sets up this thing where you can read through it later. It's interesting to read through how God does this, because you know what's the most interesting thing about how God separates the men from the boys, as they say? It is not how we that's the point. When God begins to separate, it is not. this is not like the major leagues, uh, the scouts don't take this portion of scripture and say, this is how we're going to find the, you know, the heavy hitters. This is, I'm just trying to say, when God begins to separate and find those few, those faithful few, it is not the way that man will do it. He does it his own way. And God's way is right. And so before it's over, you know how many people are left? 300. 300. Now God says, now if I give the victory, I've got it whittled down enough. I've got it whittled down enough to where nobody could argue that if the victory comes, the victory is of the Lord. By the way, our lives are meant to give Him glory. Are they not? That's what our lives are for, is to bring Him glory. So God says, now we're ready. Now you're ready to go, Gideon. Now you can go after Him. Look at verse 16 of chapter 7. By the way, in verse 15, uh, I don't have enough time to do this justice this morning, but by the way, in verse 15, Gideon, before the battle, just like Joshua, worshipped. By the way, if you think you're going into a battle... If you think God's taking you into some new areas, the best advice that we, the best advice that I can gather from this is take time to worship. Take time to get close to the Lord. Take time to get get close to God because He's the one that gave Joshua the battle plan, and He's the one that gave Gideon the battle plan. And worshiping the Lord is important. Is important. And He says to Gideon in chapter seven, verse sixteen. And he divided the 300 men into three companies. And he put a trumpet in every man's hand. Look at this. With empty pitchers and lamps within the pitchers. Now we have that faithful few. Now we have those people that are ready to serve God. And he says, what's he put in their hands? He puts the trumpet. You say, what's the trumpet a picture of? The gospel. The gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. You say he puts empty pictures. What's the empty pictures a picture of? Uh, the Bible talks about us being the clay and him the potter. We were Adam was, was formed from the dust of the ground. These pictures, these pictures are pictures of us, the people, right? And you say, what are they? They're empty. You know what God's looking for? He's looking for some people that'll empty themselves of themselves. And make room for Him. You say, what's the light? The light's the Holy Spirit. The light's God. He says, empty yourself. Empty this clay vessel. Right? And I'll make you a vessel that's fit for the Master's use. You say, what is that? Not my will, but thine be done. You say, what could God do with 300 that said, not my will, but thine be done. Oh my. What God could do with 300 that says, not my will, they would empty themselves of themselves and say, Lord, fill me with that light. Lord, fill me with your Spirit. That's our command. Be ye filled with the Holy Spirit. Right? And He says, 
empty ourselves. Get these pictures out. And you say, what happens? I'm hurrying now. So verse 20, he says, and three companies blew the trumpets, the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ, right? And break the pictures and held the lamps in the left hand and the trumpets in their right hands and blew with all. And they cried, they yelled, the sword of the Lord and Gideon, the sword of the Lord, which is the Word of God, right? And Gideon. And you know what, the, you know what happens? God gives them the victory. God gives them the victory. You know what happens? We have the light inside of us. If we've accepted Jesus Christ as our Lord and Savior, the Bible says that He sealed us with His Holy Spirit. We have the Holy Spirit inside of us. But you know what? Sometimes the light doesn't get out. You say, what blocks the light? We do. Sometimes we block the light. You say, how did the light get out of these pictures? We had to break them. So many times in our lives when the pressure comes on and things start happening and and things start to crumble and things start to break, sometimes uh, God does and allows these things to happen so that Christ can shine out. You know, sometimes when we go through troubles and tribulations, Paul says that he gloried in those things. Why? Because in his weakness, Christ became strong. Another way of saying that is when my picture breaks, the light shines out better. It, when, when, when I'm weak, when I'm least of my family, when I'm part of the family that's the poorest in Manasseh, and God uses me, then who gets the glory? Who gets the glory? God gets the glory. And the world can see the light of Jesus Christ. Sometimes God will allow things in our lives so that, it'll, so that we will decrease, that He can increase, so that His light and China. Let's look at the New Testament passage. 2 Corinthians chapter 6. 2 Corinthians 6. We're getting close. So wrapping up here. 2 Corinthians 4. Excuse me. It was Judges 6. 2 Corinthians 4. Paul talks about in verse 8 that we have trouble on every side, yet not distressed. We are perplexed, but not in despair. Persecuted, but not forsaken, cast down, but not destroyed. In other words, sometimes Paul says, sometimes our picture breaks. But it's, it's in those troubles and tribulations that Jesus Christ, the light can shine out. The Holy Spirit can shine out. Look with me in verse 5. 2 Corinthians 4, 5. For we preach not ourselves, but Jesus Christ the Lord. Hey, if you've been trumpeting yourself, wrong thing. We're not promoting ourselves. I'm, we're not trying to say, hey, look at us. We're, we're right. We're Christians. We, we're the, we know the better way, right? We're smart. We're, this. we're not walking around saying, look at us. No, we're walking around with the trumpet saying that because of Jesus Christ and His death, His burial, and His resurrection, you can be set free from sin. You can know God. You can have a fellowship with Him. You can have eternal life. We preach Jesus Christ. That's what we trumpet. Right? That's what we say. He says, For we preach not ourselves, but Christ Jesus the Lord ourselves, your servants of Jesus, for Jesus' sake, for God, who commanded the light, remember the lamp in the picture? The light to shine out of darkness hath what? Shined in our hearts to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. But we have this what? Treasure. An earthen vessel. What's an earthen vessel? Picture. The clay. The earthen vessel is our body. 
We have this treasure, the light. We have the light in us. We have the Holy Spirit, this treasure in this earthen vessel in our bodies that the excellency of the power of uh, power may be of God and not of us. In other words, that people can see God in us, that enthusiastic, right? God in us. He is there and He is shining out. The Bible tells us, let your light so shine before men that you may see your good works and what? Glorify your Father which is in heaven. Why do we let the light of Jesus Christ shine? So that God gets the glory. So that the victories that He gives in our lives, God gets the glory for it. He says, ye are the light in the world. You wouldn't take this light and put a a bushel over it. No, we wouldn't allow ourselves to get in the way of this wonderful, precious light that the world has. I would say this today, that the world is dark. There's darkness. Um, Beth and Dave could probably give us a lot of, of, of illustrations of darkness outside. But even in America, there's darkness. I would say that if you look at the cycle, you would see a lot of folks that are in this place right here. They're in bondage to sin. They're enslaved. They're in darkness. You know what they need? They need the light. They need the light. They need to see Jesus Christ so that they can be brought out of those things. Listen, the world may be dark and there may be dark times, but God's still at work. But God is still at work. You may be here and you say, listen, I'm I'm oppressed because of my own sin. Cry out and humble yourself. He'll hear that prayer. He'll hear it. He will send deliverance. I believe if we'll humble ourselves before the Lord, maybe we've been doing that which was right in our own eyes. Maybe we've been doing the best that we can. Right? But it's still in our own eyes. And he says, no, don't be walking in your own eyes. Follow the Lord Jesus Christ and have that fellowship of the Holy Spirit. Even in dark, dark times, God brings salvation. And here's the good news. The darker it is, the brighter the light. You say, what do you mean? Listen, if it's real, real dark and you break that, that picture, boy, that light, you can see it for a long ways. And so maybe we would humble ourselves and say, Lord, make me that light. Lord, allow me to be that one of those few. Let me be the 300. Don't be, don't be intimidated if you're one of the 300 and begin to think, well, there's not a lot. There's not too many. Listen, if you're with the Lord... You and the Lord, that's the majority. He can do anything. There's nothing too hard for God. And finally, let us trumpet the Gospel. Let us trumpet Jesus Christ. Put Him first. Allow our lights to shine. And even if our picture breaks, even if it means that we must decrease so that He can increase, know that in that and through that, God gives us the victory. You say, I don't want to break. I don't want to, I don't want to go through these hardships. Well, nobody does, I don't think. But so many times it's through those hardships that God breaks the bondages and breaks the hardships and breaks those things and allows us to have the victory. Thanks for taking the time to listen today. We'd love to hear from you and learn how you've been encouraged or challenged by this podcast. Please leave a comment on the Contact Us page on our website, or you could write to us at P.O. Box 641, Springboro, Ohio, 45066. 
Feel free to visit us anytime that you're in the Springboro, Ohio area.